Hey folks, it's Sam Jacobs. We've got a great show for you today. It's the Sales Hacker Podcast, and we've got Alison Wagenfeld on the show. Alison Wagenfeld is the Chief Marketing Officer for Google Cloud. She's responsible for both GCP, which is the Google Cloud platform, and she's responsible for G Suite, which is Gmail, Calendar, Sheets, Docs, all the stuff that we all use every day. So uh, an incredible person and somebody that's had so many different experiences. She worked at HBS. She was a partner at Emergence Capital making investments. She was also an early stage company, an early stage employee at a company called Greenlight. And she was uh, at Quicken and start helped start and launch their Quicken Loans business. So she's worked at a sort of an entrepreneurial division within a big company. She's worked at a very small company. She's worked at a very big company and she's been an investor as well. So I think it's going to be a great interview. Now, before we get there, we want to thank our sponsors. We've got a new sponsor on the show today. So Vidyard is our new sponsor. Email isn't dead, but it sure is boring. Add video to your emails to stand out in the inbox for free with Vidyard. Vidyard helps you easily record, send, and track who is viewing your video content in three simple steps. First, record your screen or yourself on camera right from your browser, then share your videos and emails just a few clicks. And finally, analytics and attribution. See when someone watches your videos, Vidyard will let you know who clicked play and how much they watch. So go to vidyard.com forward slash sales hacker for more information. Our second sponsor, you know the company, it's Outreach, the leading sales engagement platform. Outreach supports sales reps by enabling them to humanize communications at scale from automating the soul-sucking manual work that eats up selling time to providing action-oriented tips on what communications are working best, Outreach has your back. Now, without further ado, let's listen to my interview with Allison Wagenfeld, CMO of Google Cloud. Hey, everybody. It's Sam Jacobs. Welcome back to the Sales Hacker Podcast. We are honored and excited today to have a very special guest. Allison Wagenfeld is the Chief Marketing Officer for a little company called Google, specifically for Google Cloud, representing both GCP, which is the Google Cloud platform, and G Suite. Previously, she was an operating partner at Emergence Capital, a leading Silicon Valley venture capital firm that we all probably know about since they've invested in so many companies that we use every day, focused on enterprise cloud companies where she worked with over 30, developing the firm's branding, marketing, and talent programs. Prior to emergence, Allison was executive director of the Harvard Business School California Research Center, where she worked with faculty to build the entrepreneurship curriculum, helped develop programs for the Harvard Innovation Lab, and led Harvard student entrepreneurship immersion trips to Silicon Valley. And before her role at HBS, Allison led marketing and business development at Greenlight, a venture-backed startup, and worked at Intuit, where she co-founded the Quicken Loans business. Earlier in her career, Allison worked as a product manager at Microsoft and an investment banking analyst at Morgan Stanley. Allison has a BA, magna cum laude, from Yale and an MBA from HBS, Harvard Business School, where she was a Baker Scholar. The San Francisco Business Journal named Allison one of the most influential women in the Bay Area. Allison, welcome to the show. Hi, welcome. Uh, thank you so much for having me here. <laughs> We're excited to have you. A very impressive uh, background. So we, we like to start with what we call a baseball card, which is really an opportunity to learn a little bit more about your current responsibilities and about uh, and about your your oversight, all of the things that you're responsible for. So uh, you're, did I pronounce your last name correctly? Wagenfeld. Yes. Wagenfeld. And your chief marketing officer for Google Cloud, representing both Google Cloud Platform and G Suite. So I guess we all are probably familiar with those broad strokes, but walk us through your day-to-day responsibilities, the size of your organization from an FTE perspective, the information that you're capable of sharing with us about sort of the purview and the, and the suite of responsibilities that, that you hold. 
Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so as you mentioned, I head up all of our cloud marketing. So that's part of Google's broader remit. As you know, Google has many, many different businesses, but specifically focused primarily on enterprise and, well, actually everything through to SMB customers. For G Suite, which is our set of apps, including Gmail and Calendar and Drive and Docs, for that get used for with by businesses and by education institutions. And so it used to be called Google Apps for Work. And a couple of years ago, we uh, collectively brought that to market as G Suite. And then also Google Cloud Platform, which is everything around compute and storage and analytics and increasingly artificial intelligence and all of our machine learning programs and all kinds of cloud technology that are being used by companies and organizations globally to transform their businesses. And that area is best known because it competes with AWS and Azure. And increasingly, Google Cloud is really expanding globally on that front. And so how how big is roughly, uh, whatever you're comfortable sharing, how big is the organization in terms of human beings? So we certainly have hundreds on our team globally, and we um, that cover a number of different functions, everything from brand and creative and media to product marketing, to our demand gen functions, to partner marketing, to industries. And then we have teams, uh, global locations, five core regions, EMEA, everything around Europe, and then also Americas, of course, Latin America. APAC and also Japan. So a global team uh, working on a number of different initiatives. Wow. Uh, that thing, so, so uh, and how, how long have you been, when did you leave Emergence? So I left Emergence in April 2016 and okay. um, started here right soon after. Of course, I didn't take any vacation between the jobs, which I always tell people they should find a way to take vacation between jobs, but I have yet to do that in my career. And so I'm sorry to hear that. I know it's kind of like every time I was like, Oh, I should have taken those three months off, but it felt, it, it always feels urgent into the next role that you're going and certainly felt when I came here, the urgency and the excitement of what Google had the opportunity to do with such incredible technology, but pretty limited go-to-market activities. And so being able to come in here at the ground floor and really help build out the go-to-market program has been an incredible opportunity. And I was glad to be able to do it. But of course, it was tough to leave Emergence because I really enjoyed my role there working with all the partners and working with all our portfolio companies. When you think about kind of the, you know, we talk about origin story and we can walk through all of the, all of the different steps along the way, but at emergence, you're primarily working with companies. I would, but tell me if I'm wrong that are, that are probably, well, definitionally they're probably earlier stage than Google. And, you know, I know some emergence companies and so they're, you know, most of many of many venture back B2B enterprise businesses or trying to make it to a hundred million and then maybe beyond. And that, that is a path to IPO, but this job seems, you know, on a scale of, on a magnitude, uh, larger than some of the companies that you, that you worked with at emergence either that may be mistaken, but how do you prepare for a role of this size and scope when maybe there is no other job like it anyway, so that it's hard to, to convict, to sort of state that you have the relevant expertise or just the background? Yeah. Yeah, no, so it's interesting. A lot of the different aspects of my career have prepared me for this, but it's not immediately evident if you just look at a resume on paper. 
for example, you know, my first role in investment banking, you know, really understanding analytics and being super comfortable with numbers and kind of what drives different behavior and understanding things like demand gen waterfalls, you know, those are heavy analytic roles. And then when I was at Intuit, you know, that was a, a medium to big size company. I had the opportunity to start a new business internally there. So I had taken a lot of, I've always been an entrepreneurial person. I was the kind of person that had businesses when I was like 10 and 12 selling Brits or stationery or whatever it was. And so when I was at Intuit, I had an opportunity to grow a business, launch and grow a business, Quicken Loans, with inside a bigger company. So understanding what it means to do, I guess what people sometimes call entrepreneurship. And so that was relevant to be able to build that. And I got a lot of good product marketing background there and really product management background because I worked really closely with our engineering team to launch that business. And then working at a startup, you know, when you're the second employee, you're kind of doing everything. Then the role at Harvard Business School was interesting because I wrote and taught and studied hundreds of different companies, everything from startups, but I wrote cases about Google and I wrote cases about Cisco and other really big companies. So I had this really interesting vantage point of being a student of many different tech, global tech companies. So that was kind of helpful pattern matching. And then coming into emergence, you know, of course, most of the portfolio were smaller companies, but being able to work with companies like Zoom as they were scaling and seeing what that looked like on the ground was valuable background to be able to think about when I came here about what does it mean to scale the business. So kind of interestingly, all of these different aspects of my career, from the marketing roles to the product roles, to the scaling roles, to the analytics, allowed me to come into this role with uh, different types of learning that I've been able to put to use. That makes a lot of sense in retrospect. When you're thinking about advice, maybe for people that are starting off in their careers that are trying to replicate some kind of approach that similar to the one that, that you've, that you've just, you know, the, the journey that you've been on over the last, uh, however many years, because it's, because it seems to have gone so well. Are there specific insights that you have or frameworks that you've used as you've, as you've made different career decisions? Because to your point, you've, these, these roles and functions are all, they all have commonalities, but they're all quite different. You, you went from being a banker to, uh, you know, an operator within a very large company to an operator at a very small company to an investor and now back to an operator, but this time at a much larger global company. What are the frameworks that you use as you think about making these decisions and advancing over the course of your career? Yeah, it's interesting because it, as I said, it's not a particularly linear career path, and it's actually to some degree been a, somewhat organic, but there are common themes in that I've always liked to build. I've, I have a hu- I'm have a huge believer in how technology can really make a fundamental difference in people's lives and organizations and everything. So it's essentially everything that I've done has had technology at its core, I've always been really curious and able to ask a lot of questions and comfortable with ambiguity and able to then learn and frame messy problems or complex areas and try to distill as to what needs to be done next and kind of with a bias to action everywhere along the way. I've always surrounded myself with really strong people. I feel like uh, every role that I've been in, I've been working with a top tier team. And so that's been another commonality. 
And then I've always found it interesting of how much overlap there always is. I mean, the same person that hired me at Microsoft was as a summer intern, well, as a business school was the person who was then became a partner at Kleiner Perkins, who then recruited me into that startup as the VP of marketing. And so I kind of one of the frameworks that I tell people and even tell my kids is remember that life is often a series of back channels and that the people you interface with, you will likely interface with again and always do things in a way that whenever somebody asks about you, that you feel proud about what they would say and the contributions that you've made. And so there's been a lot of commonality in terms of the people and the companies and everything as a common thread through everything I've done. Wow. Series of back channel. I mean, that that is always true. Your reputation lives for a very long time. To your point, I mean, I, I, uh, I had forgotten, I guess, that Emergence was an investor in Zoom. So you, you've evaluated and at this point have seen so many different types of businesses, many of them that have worked and many of them that haven't. What do you think, you know, if you're defining some kind of, you know, gestalt or you're, you know, extracting heuristics from, from these evaluations over the course of the last 20 to 30 years, what are the common themes that that tell you that a company is going to be successful and, and able to achieve those breakthrough moments versus the companies? And what are the biggest mistakes that you see early stage companies make as they're trying to grow? Yeah, well, that's certainly a tough question. Venture capitalists have been trying to sort that one out for decades. <laughs> <laughs> Take a crack at it, but I, there are uh, likely others that might be in a better position to answer that. But I mean, it always comes down, right, to the opportunity and the people. And so that in the largest possible sense, I mean, companies that tended to be successful, they happen to be, they're addressing large-scale opportunities with unmet needs in a way that there's some competitive differentiation. But that alone doesn't do the trick because you need to have the right people who are assembling a team that know how to approach it, who can switch gears quickly, who can learn from what's working, who understand what product market fit looks like, and then how to lean into that and are constantly listening to customers and able to adjust accordingly. So I've certainly seen those as common trends. I've also seen companies with really strong teams and what seem to be good markets not make it. And there's a whole bunch of reasons. Sometimes the competitive dynamic changes materially. Sometimes there's a regulatory change. And, you know, there's many, many different reasons. But when I it came to Google Cloud, I felt as if we had really strong technology in a massively growing market. And so that is a really core aspect of it because as we're watching enterprise companies around the world transition from a world of on-prem technology to cloud-based technology and seeing that happen at such a global rapid scale, I had confidence that given Google's technology strength developed over 20 years, that Google had a real opportunity to play a meaningful role here and that building out the sales and the marketing and the business operations and all of those elements would really be able to make an impact in it. So how do you prioritize, you know, to your, to exactly to that point, you've got this massive global opportunity. You're the CMO of, you know, two huge businesses that have, and both of them sell, I would imagine, but I could be wrong, to slightly different personas. So how do you start wrapping your head around that when you're, when you're onboarding into Google what were the tenets of the plan that you developed, particularly as it relates to the marketing message that you want to bring bring to the market? Yeah, and that's it's a good question. It's actually evolved even as over the course of the three years that I've been here. 
when I first got here, the G Suite part of the business, Google Apps for Work, was actually the bigger business. And then over time, we've watched Google Cloud Platform really grow as well. And, you know, both in terms of kind of people and market opportunity. And we've been cross-pollinating those teams where initially those were two separate distinct marketing organizations when I got here. But then we thought there was an opportunity to have, for example, global field teams that can bring those products to companies, you know, bring them together because often companies that are undergoing a digital transformation of some sort are looking at it from a, um, an analytics and infrastructure standpoint, but also looking at about how they work and how G Suite can help them with their own communications and collaboration. And so we've been looking for opportunities to be able to bring those to market together. And we've done that under the overall umbrella of Google Cloud. And that has been effective because it's allowed us to build scale. It's allowed us to use the same teams to do both. One of our biggest teams that I didn't mention earlier is our biggest in terms of impact is our events and strategic initiatives team. For example, when we put together our Google Cloud Next conference, which this last year had over 30,000 people, we were able to highlight Google Cloud Platform products as well as G Suite products and solutions together there and be able to do that in a collective, integrated way. And so there's been this opportunity to understand the different customers and buyers and then be able to help build solutions for them collectively. Also seeing that on the, from an industry standpoint, because we're increasingly approaching the market from a more industry-focused point of view, where we see how media companies might use cloud technology different than financial services companies, for example, and looking at areas where we can integrate the different solutions together from a really audience-centric element. And I would say that's been true for everything, is really starting with the audience and then understanding how the technology that we have at Google Cloud can really help that set of companies or buyers or people do their jobs better and achieve what they're trying to achieve. When you put on Google, you know, when you put on the 30,000 person conference, are you using the same fundamental tactics that, that an early stage marketing organization might use? You know, are you, are you, are you very, very focused on attribution and and trying to understand when you think about the ROI of a 30,000 person conference, does it relate back to the traditional marketing concepts of pipeline and demand generation? Or are you looking at softer brand impression metrics as well as when you're evaluating the effectiveness of that spend. That's a good question and one we talk about all the time here because something, <laughs> you know, we run many different events and they have different purposes. Google Cloud Next is, you know, such a mega event that it has an awareness component. It has a consideration component. It has a deal progression component. It has a customer engagement element. It has a dev component to it, a huge dev training and enablement and learning. So that particular one is an interesting conference to talk about. And we certainly look at it from a pipeline standpoint and a pipeline progression and an ROI impact on that. We look at all of our events from an ROI standpoint. It's, there's just a different ways to approach it where some are kind of more top of the funnel aspects of it. You know, there might be a market where we're just getting going in. Let's take something like Brazil. In Sao Paulo, we might do a big event there that has an awareness component and a deal progression component and an ROI element. So we really look at it 
pretty holistically and it requires actually pretty sophisticated systems, as you can imagine, to track from the time we start spending on something all the way through to attribution at the end and making sure that everything is getting tracked through Salesforce, you know, our um, tool, our CRM tool. And um, a, a lot of my time now is actually spent because as we grew so quickly, and this happens probably with all of, um, you know, many fast growing companies, you don't always invest everything that you need in systems and that you kind of have that tech debt later. And it's no different here where we're kind of making sure that our systems are catching up to our growth. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, well, it's, it's fascinating. The scale that you're talking about is just, is just, uh, re- it's really exciting. I have a, I have a question about competition. So we, we know the main players in the space, particularly on the kind of the cloud services side. How do you think about marketing messaging when it comes to direct competition? And, you know, there's, there's a lot of different perspectives out there. Some of the perspectives are you never mention the competition. You're just sort of skating to the puck and you're presenting an aspirational message and it, and that's one approach. The other approach is, listen, there's middle of the funnel consideration that's happening. There's, you know, CTOs and CIOs, and there's people at very large organizations that need to know the differences between three major vendors in a space. And so you need to inform the market with that. And then there's, there's obviously organizations that take a much more scorched earth approach and, and, you know, really try to, to poison the groundwater when it comes to the competition. I imagine that's not your approach, but how do you think about differentiating Google cloud, specifically GCP, against, you know, these other massive incumbents. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, overall, Google's brand is uh, built around themes of helpfulness uh, because as a company, Google has always been extremely helpful with our customers and with businesses and everything along those lines. And we are also lead with a sense of optimism and lead with innovation. So everything that we do within Google Cloud, we want to do that um, is kind of, um, so that is helpful. Sorry, my like phone just, <laughs> it just triggered something <laughs> on my phone. So I'm like Google assistant, as I'm talking about the rest of Google, the Google assistant's like, I hear you. <laughs> yes, it's trying to be helpful. Here's the results of your search. Um, I think everything that we do, um, ladders up to the broader Google branding, but within cloud, it's, it's certainly a more, um, there's not more competitive, but a different set of very distinct competitors. And we're thoughtful about that. We enable our sales teams with compete materials on every dimension across every product. We certainly are, you know, do our own competitive review as we're looking at our brand narrative and what do we stand for and how do we, how are we perceived in the market so that we know when we do our own, um, brand awareness in advertising, what we want to talk about. But ultimately, we believe that Google Cloud comes out a really strong, comes out it from a really strong place of innovation. And the DNA of our company is with engineers that want to help solve the world's hardest problems and look for the most aggressive, bold opportunities. And given that that's the DNA of Google, it's a really fun place to be able to do marketing as Google Cloud because it's understandable and appreciated and respected that Google Cloud would approach the market in the same way where we are out to help solve with our customers. And that is something that we can talk about authentically without having to bash competitors 
because it's really um, unique to what Google stood for for two decades. Yeah. What's what's the biggest, is there a marketing campaign right now or um, something that y'all are working on that you're, that you're super excited about that you want to share with the audience? We just, you know, let's make sure that we give you that opportunity. Uh, we are working on uh, in a campaign, terms of like but um, we'll not share it right now. I'm going to wait till we launch it properly. So uh, when, when will the stay launch tuned be? tuned in the coming months. <laughs> coming months. Fair enough. Well, well, very good. We're excited for it. When you think about, I, I mean, you sort of alluded to it, but what are the key differences from a mindset perspective and from an executive, sort of like an executive posture perspective from being an investor, being a, an early stage executive at a small company and now being an executive at a very large company? Are there, are there differences in approach, differences in mindset, differences in how you approach your day-to-day that you think are significant? So the biggest difference clearly is managing large teams and managing managers and thinking about everything that I do from a global capacity. When I worked with startups or invested in early stage companies, it tended to be realistically US focused at the beginning. And it tended to be small teams where the communication just happened quickly, organically in the same space. And now working across such a global team, and a really diverse team in an environment where I want to be really inclusive of so many different perspectives. I spend a lot of time thinking about communications and how what I do, what the leadership team communicates, how do we ensure that everything that we're doing, and if we're making decisions out of Sunnyvale or San Francisco and the Bay Area overall, is communicated, understood globally and also getting information back from global teams so that we are constantly revising and refining our marketing approach and our sales approach that works from a global standpoint. And I would say that's the biggest difference of something that I'm constantly thinking about because the last thing I would want to do is set a marketing strategy here in the Bay Area and just push that out around the world and expect that to land everywhere. Um, And even with and when I think about it, Europe, Europe is France is different than Germany, which is different than the UK. It's really appreciating and understanding the nuances and the market realities of all of the top countries in which we are um, doing marketing and working with our selling teams. Are there mechanisms, are there special types of meetings that you have when you think about trying, I mean, communication is a challenge for for every organization, but but especially in this case, to your point, when you've got so many different cultures and so many different time zones and so many different personality types, what are some of the tactics that you've used to to effectively distribute that message and to be a great communicator? Is it a biweekly town hall? What are, give us some examples just to inspire yeah. some of the leaders. So there's a there. number of different things. So I have a weekly leadership team meeting for um, everyone who manages you to the different parts of the marketing business. Then I also have a separate team just with our regional leads where we really talk about kind of what's specifically going on in each region and how we're interfacing with our sales counterparts in each region because that's such an important area of interlock. Then we have monthly town hall types of meetings. We call them all hands here for all of our cloud marketing organization. Then every other week, I also send out um, it's kind of like a newsletter types of comms just to give people an awareness of all of the different things that are going on around the world across all of our teams. And then there's also some different comms that each of the leaders of teams, we call it cascading out. So they share out to each of their orgs about what's relevant and appropriate. 
So constantly trying to come up with new ways and get also consistent ways of communicating and then getting information back. Yeah, I, um, it's always a challenge. When, when you uh, shifting a little bit to sort of the planning and the budgeting process as we're recording this, it's um, kind of the third quarter of September. So it's like September 23rd. And I'm sure lots of organizations are either he- um, heads down, knee deep. I'm trying to think of like the body metaphor, but they are, they are involved and in, on uh, 2020 planning, if not 2021 planning. How do you think about budgeting, forecasting, planning, A, for a company as large as Google relative to some of the smaller companies you've worked at, but also relative to the fact that it's a public company, you need to be mindful of, you know, of all of all of those considerations. Is there a process? Obviously, we put aside any numbers, but is there a process for building a really effective 2020, 2021 forecast with the sales leadership and finance leadership at the organization? So it's really a cross-functional effort that happens uh, across our team with our sales team, sales ops, and with our finance team. And so we are working together on that, looking at it globally, looking at it regionally, looking at it by product. And so as you can imagine, there's um, quite a few meetings and a lot of discussion interlock that goes on there and looking, you know, how does the kind of marketing investments in certain countries translate into what types of demand we can help generate and what types of pipeline and what types of opportunities. So there's a lot of engagement right now. We are, yes, just kind of very much moving into the heart of it at this time of year. And then I also like to meet with counterparts in other parts of Google as well to ensure that we're really thinking holistically across all of Google. So collectively, it's been you know, I think that each year we've gotten um, more comprehensive in our planning over the last. I mean, Google as a company is very built out from those standpoints. But within cloud, as we've been growing really quickly, there's been a lot more focus on thinking holistically about our plan, both going into next year and multi year. And holistically, I, I would imagine, but correct me if I'm wrong, but coming at planning from a few different perspectives and sort of triangulation, not just doing one kind of top-down plan, but trying to approach it from a number of different perspectives and seeing perhaps where the aggregate, the the aggregation of all of those perspectives lands when it comes to you know the actual revenue performance for the next couple of years. Is that accurate? Or how many different inputs do you use when you're thinking about putting out, uh, mapping out the next couple of years? So there's certainly a lot of engagement, as I said, across from sales and finance. And Thomas Curian, our CEO of Google Cloud, is really thoughtful and across all of the different elements of the business as well. So there's, yes, multiple perspectives are incorporated, yet looked at across as a strategic lens, making sure that we're focusing on the most important initiatives going into next year. Yeah, makes sense. When you... um well, first of all, Allison, thanks so much for, for being on the show today. And uh, it's always great to have an executive with your presence and your 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 stature and also uh, your experience. When you think about, we have a little part of the, the show where we like to sort of pay it forward a little bit and, um, and like to understand who inspired you, whether it was the people that have had a big impression on you, whether it was the books that you've read, certain life mottos or nuggets of wisdom. So when when we think about paying it forward and letting the audience know who are some of the people that have brought you here and, and made and created Alison Wagenfeld, who are the people that kind of emerged for you? Um, well, I would say the probably first inspiration was working with Scott Cook, who was the chair of Intuit when I was there, because he brought such a customer lens to everything. He was the original person behind the follow 
me home type of sales where if somebody buys something, go see how they use it in their house. So when you always start with a customer, you can't go wrong. And it's really a great North Star. And then uh, I happened to work with a lot of great professors when I was at Harvard Business School, but Bill Salman, who's a professor of entrepreneurship, really stood out both when I was a student, but also when I worked there to really think about how do you teach entrepreneurship and what does that look like? Then um, I had the opportunity, as I mentioned, there was a people kind of you interface with in multiple parts of your career. Um, Russ Siegelman, who was at Microsoft when I was there, and then again at Kleiner Perkins, had a chance to work with him in multiple capacities. And then when I was at Emergence, I, I worked closely with all of the partners there, but in particular, Jason Green was the person who I, I knew best going into the firm. And his focus on people and always understanding what makes great leaders and investing in great leaders and backing great leaders. I learned a lot from him in terms of a people approach. And then at Google, um, you know, working with a whole bunch of different people. And I enjoyed working with Diane Green and now working with Thomas Kurian. And I learned a lot from Lorraine Tuhill, who runs marketing for all of the other parts of Google. So I feel like I've been really fortunate to work with many, many great leaders and being able to learn from them along the way. Are there, are there common themes that you recognize in great leaders that to the point of teaching entrepreneurship, teaching leadership that, that emerge from you based on these experiences with all these incredible people? I think that great leaders, I have not found like this, a single approach to like what makes a great leader. I, you know, I have found general, um, ability to think really broadly and strategically to be able to focus on people as individuals to think about, team organization and team dynamics and being able to be good listeners and understand that different ideas come from different places and also feeling that people, the leaders I've worked with, I've felt like have always had my back and allowed me to think, you know, really boldly in different areas, you know, everything from Diane being able to kind of back me when we chose to do real-time ads during the NCAA Final Four of like the first time that we used machine learning to create predictions at halftime about the second half of the game and air that as an ad. I mean, that was a pretty bold set of marketing. And so being able to work with people that I feel as if, you know, I think when people, you feel like the leaders you're working with believe in you, you can approach all of your work with a much broader lens and really strive for the greatest impact possible. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. If folks out there are listening and, and they're interested in learning from you, are you open to, to outreach from listeners? Is there a preferred mechanism? Would you prefer they apply for a job at, at Google Cloud? How, how, sh- how should they approach you if, if, they, if they'd like to? Well, given that most of your listeners are in sales and we've publicly announced <laughs> that we're hiring thousands of people in sales, step one, for sure, apply for open roles. We're constantly hiring like really, really top salespeople globally. So wow. that would be the best part because that's really an area of expansion. We're seeing so much market opportunity that would love to keep building our sales team with people who love to work with companies that want to do really transformational technology work and um so by all means, I'm sure that there's various links online to go apply for those roles. Fair enough. We'll do it. Allison, um, thanks so much for being on the show. And, uh, and we'll talk to you on Friday for Friday Fundamentals. Okay. Sounds great. Thanks so much. Hey, everybody. 
It's Sam Jacobs. This is Sam's Corner. Great interview with Allison Wagenfeld. I think one of the things that you can take away from that conversation is that careers are not a straight line and you have to be open to new opportunity, but you also have to nurture relationships with where the in, with the communities in which you are currently involved, and those relationships will pay dividends over time. One of the things that she mentioned is that sort of like life in your career is a perpetual back channel. So you're going to meet people uh, time and time again. Whether you're salespeople, you're going to meet those customers again. Uh, if it's executive peers, they're going to come around again. And so you always want to make sure, it doesn't mean that you always have to be the nicest person in the world. It's not about being nice or being mean. And oftentimes those frames are really not very helpful because it doesn't tell you how to make decisions and it really doesn't have any impact on what's ethical. So we're not talking about being nice or mean, but the main thing that, that we want is to make sure that you're intentional and that whatever impression you leave on people is was intentional. It wasn't accidental. And that's something that I think Allison has done really well is she's nurtured and cultivated relationships wherever she went so that she can name drop Scott Cook at Intuit as you know the founder of Intuit and she can start the quick loans business. She can name drop Jason Green at Emergence Capital. And now she gets to work at Google and work with an incredible group of leaders over there. And she's done all of that both by being incredibly talented, incredibly smart, but also ensuring that as she goes through her career, she nurtures and develops those relationships. Uh, the other thing that, that she just mentioned is that, you know, there's no time at which marketing can divorce itself from the requirements and the, the rigors of attribution and accountability. And so even at Google Cloud, where they're putting on a Google Next, which is a conference for 30,000 people, they're looking at attribution and they're looking at and trying to understand what is the pipeline. And even though it's a multifaceted attribution, because there's people in the middle of the funnel that are considering the purchase. There's awareness for people that have not yet entered the funnel. And there's people that are about to make a decision and need to be pushed over the line. They're still thinking about attribution, even at massive scale. And so I think just something always good to remember that, that, that marketing is not just about pipeline. And, you know, I've seen people write that, that, you know, the only thing that matters for marketing is leads. And I don't think that that's true. I think brand is really important and brand is sometimes hard to measure. And so marketing still has a big component of brand development and brand recognition. But there is no marketing world these days that doesn't have some kind of revenue attribution and revenue KPI associated with it. Doesn't mean that it's the only one. But I, I can tell you from the marketers that I talk to, the word leads is becoming less and less in favor. The word MQLs, the acronym MQLs, Marketing Qualified Leads, is becoming less and less in favor. The forward-thinking marketers that I know, they are attaching themselves to revenue as the key KPI. But that doesn't mean that you can't focus on brand development and brand awareness. And that's something to always keep in mind. Marketing is the critical discipline in organizations because it is the act of creating the message and delivering the message to the right person at the right time. And so just really inspiring to hear somebody that's running such a massive platform that has marketing responsibility for GCP, which is the Google Cloud platform competing with AWS and Azure at the same time that she's running, you know, all of the apps that I use every day, Gmail, Calendar, Sheets, Docs. So really, really inspiring message and somebody that has worked at large companies and big companies and also at small companies, also been an investor. She's she's played every meaningful role within this broad technology ecosystem. So she's really somebody that we can learn a lot from. So we were excited to have Allison on the show. Uh, before we leave, we want to thank our sponsors. Those sponsors are Vidyard. Vidyard is the new sponsor on today's show. And Vidyard is the video platform that helps you easily record, send, and track who's viewing your video content in three easy steps. So go to vidyard.com forward slash sales hacker for more information. And of course, 
our perennial sponsor, which is Outreach. Outreach is the leading sales engagement platform, enabling you to humanize communications at scale. So if you're reaching out to people on an ongoing basis and you want it to be personalized and sound authentic and human, why are you not reaching and using Outreach? If you want to reach out to me, linkedin.com forward slash the word in forward slash Sam F. Jacobs. We'll talk to you next time.